Welcome to the Complete Skin and Beauty Podcast. Join us as we investigate the skin, including skin conditions and related modalities, explore the different beauty treatments available, and give educated advice to help answer your commonly asked questions. Welcome to the first episode of Complete Skin and Beauty Podcast. My name is Emily and I'll be your host today. Today's episode is an introduction to skin. But before we get into the content of this episode, I thought I might just introduce myself and just kind of give a little insight as to how this podcast has come about. As I mentioned before, my name is Emily. I'm a 25-year-old student currently completing my final year of my bachelor degree in dermal science. I've been a qualified skin therapist and beauty therapist for about five years now. And that is kind of how I found my love for skin. As you probably know, beauty therapy involves a whole range of different facial and body therapies, such as hair removal, massage, lash treatments, nails, tinting, and makeup. There's a whole bunch more. But what actually attracted me to beauty therapy in the beginning was makeup. I loved makeup because it made me feel confident in myself uh, because I'd always struggled with my skin, specifically with acne. My family has a history of cystic level acne and I'd seen all three of my brothers suffer with it. In my adolescent life, I didn't really leave the house without makeup. I would even touch up my makeup halfway through the day just to make sure none of my pimples were revealed. And I knew of skincare, but nothing I used really made a difference. Eventually my skin got really bad and I was referred to a dermatologist and had a course of oral isotretinoin or commonly referred to as Rakutane. If you haven't had this, it's a medication that is systemic and it's made up of a synthetic vitamin A. So it works to reduce acne by reducing sebum or oil production and therefore halting the development of bacterial growth in the skin. Common side effects include excessive dehydration, especially on the lips, but it can also trigger atopic eczema or dermatitis as well. You have an increased risk of sunburn, it can thin your nails, and it can even trigger more acne, but that's usually in the initial stages of use. It causes a constant erythema of the skin or redness, so there's a whole bunch more possible side effects, but those are just some of the ones that I had personally. Luckily for myself I only needed about six months of the medication to fully reduce all of my breakouts but it is common that people might need 12 to 24 months or longer. I often wonder if I would have needed the medication if I had knowledge of different ingredients and skin care that I do now. So my aim of this podcast and especially this episode and those to come about skin is just to help educate those who are interested in all areas of the skin and hopefully empower you to care for your skin and just sort of educate you on how to care for your skin. What I'll be going through will be mixed with evidence-based references and also just my own experiences and knowledge that I've gained through university and working. I hope you enjoy the episode today and the others to come and thank you in advance for taking the time to listen.
So today I thought we could do an overview of the skin. First I thought we could start with the functions of the skin and then move through the layers of the skin. So to start off I just want you to take a moment to look at your arm. What do you see? I see hair, freckles, moles and a few little blemishes and also leftover tan from the weekend. Now touch the skin. Is it soft? Perhaps a little dry? Have you ever thought about all the functions of the skin? Like protection from pathogens, bacteria, disease, protection of our vital organs, and regulation of body heat? The functions of the skin can be broken down into six different categories. Protection, regulation, sensation, absorption, secretion, and excretion. Number one is protection. The skin protects our internal from external factors. For example, pathogens like bacteria that could cause us illness if there wasn't a physical barrier of skin to protect us. Another example is the epidermis, for example, our animalized layer of skin, the one we can touch and feel. It produces sebum or oil that protects our skin from dehydration. When our skin becomes dehydrated, it becomes easier for bacteria to enter the body. Another, or the final example of protection would be the acid mantle. The acid mantle is a film on the top of our epidermis, the very top layer of the skin, made up of sebum and sweat that normally has a slightly acidic pH sitting between four and six. When our acid mantle is affected negatively, that is when we tend to have problems with breakouts, dehydration, flakiness, all of that kind of thing. And next up we have regulation. The main example of regulation is of heat. So when our body temperature rises, the sudoriferous or sweat glands produce sweat that sits on the surface of our skin to cool down. On the other hand, when the body is cold, your skin has a process to help keep warm, commonly referred to as goosebumps. In our hair follicles, there, are, there is this tiny little muscle called the erector pili muscle. This muscle makes our hair stand up. And this pro process occurs in other animals as well and is thought to help insulate and retain heat. It is a process that is directly connected to the parasympathetic nervous system in our body, the system that reacts to fight or flight. So the erectile pillow muscle can be triggered when you are scared, nervous or cold as well. Then we have sensation. Sensation is facilitated by the nerves in the skin and it allows us to recognize either heat, cool, pain, pleasure and itch. The fourth function of the skin is absorption. A great example of absorption is vitamin D absorption. So exposure to UV light contributes to the synthesis of vitamin D in the skin. The main role of vitamin D in the body is to regulate phosphorus and calcium levels in the small intestine, which makes its way into our bones. Low vitamin D can contribute to a decrease in bone density, which makes it easier for us to fracture or break a bone. It can also cause conditions such as rickets. 
absorption is also evident when we apply our skincare and creams to the skin. The fifth function of the skin is secretion. And this is evident in the epicrine glands in our dermis. So this is including lubrication of hair follicles, so armpits, anal area and sexual organs. Lastly, to finish off, we have excretion. Our ecrine glands or eccrine glands excrete sweat directly onto the surface of the skin and this acts as waste secretion to release toxins, minerals, urea, ammonia and different salts and other substances that are unwanted or in excess in the body. So they were the functions of the skin and now we're going to move more deeper I guess and we're going to go through each of the layers of the skin. So to start off with uh, we're going to talk about the epidermis which is the very top layer of our skin, the one that we can feel, the one we apply our makeup and skincare to. It consists of multiple sublayers with different roles in the skin function. So I thought I'd discuss a little bit first about the common cells found in the epidermis. So we have keratinocytes, which are the most abundant cell in the epidermis, and they're full of, as the name suggests, keratin. This is a pr protein found in the skin, hair, and nails, and it provides structure. We also have melanocytes, which produce melanin. Every time I've tried to explain this to someone, I remember an analogy a teacher told me once about it acting like an umbrella to shield our important cellular information from UV rays. We have Langerhans cells, which are immune cells, and they're formed from dendritic cells. Uh, these cells phagocytose foreign microorganisms. And so phagocytosis is when an immune cell membrane surrounds and consumes the target foreign microbe. The way I remember what phagocytosis is, is I think of a Pac-Man and how it goes around a map, you know how it kind of goes around the map, consuming the little dots. Well, that's basically what phagocytosis looks like. After phagocytosis, the immune cells pass on the information to lymphocytes. So they're like our immune response, who start to create antibi uh, antibodies and uh, able to identify the foreign microbe more effectively the next time it comes around. So they're very important. We also have Merkel cells and they're involved in sensation. So detecting touch, heat and communicating that to our brain. Finally we have desmosomes and these are just intracellular junctions and they consist of these filaments and they have a role of adherence of keratinocytes to each other and basement membranes and they just provide strength to the epidermis so they keep everything together so our layers don't just sort of slide off. So now we know a bit more about the cells in the epidermis. Once I go through the layers it will come together a bit more. So the first and very top layer of the epidermis is the stratum corneum. So this is the thickest layer and it's up to 30 layers of corneocytes, which are keratinocytes, as I said before, the structural cells that have undertaken what's called apoptosis or cell death. So they are dead cells. So think of this layer 
um, it's commonly referred to as brick and mortar. So think of it as when you see a brick wall. They're stacked so they overlap and are strong with little room in between. So the structure of the epidermis becomes less and less organized as it reaches the surface. And the desmosomes, the ones that I was talking about before, the intracellular junctions that keep it all together, they start to disappear. So the corneocytes sort of flake off and this is where we start to see our old skin shed. So then the next layer we have the stratum lucidum and this layer has been debated a little bit in recent literature as to if we need to really refer to it anymore because its function is really limited and it's only found in certain parts of our body such as the soles of our feet and our palms and it's reported to act as kind of waterproofing of the skin but also they're sort of like levels of friction that happen in those areas so yeah so that one's like a really really fine liquidy kind of layer then next below that is the stratum granulosum and up to five layers of dead keratinocytes basically it is becoming more flattened as it goes upwards this layer is where programmed cell death occurs, or apoptosis as I've said before, which involves the brain of the cell, known as the nucleus, which contains all the cellular DNA and material needed to create life and other cells, is broken up and the cell dies. The keratinocytes become filled entirely with keratin to replace the cell's organelles, or the other organelles in the cell. Additionally, this layer um, lamella granules produce lipids that coat the keratinocytes and intrude into the extracellular space to help with adherence between the keratinocytes and that's waterproofing of the superficial layers of the epidermis as well. So that just stops I guess anything from the external reaching straight through. Um, we are, it's important that we are waterproof. <laughs> We then have the stratum spinosum, which is between 5 to 12 cells thick. And the keratinocyte daughter moves through this layer. They become spikier and rounder in shape and lose their mitotic abilities. So mitosis, mitotic, is basically the process of cells creating another cell. So they divide and create more cells. So in this layer we actually lose the ability to create more cells and the desmosome, so the joining cell, are frequently joint and broken through migration through this layer. So this is the layer that we sort of lose those desmosomes a little bit more as it goes up and the spinosum layer has a big role in the flexibility of the skin. Also, if you can remember before, our Langerhans cells, which are our immune cells, are found in this layer and they help destroy and locate foreign microbes in the skin. So it's a very important layer. Um, lots of stuff happens and it's, as I said, it's kind of like our immunity layer where we stop those microbes and stop uh, from different skin conditions or diseases. Then we have our basal layer or stratum basale. 
This layer is the deepest layer of the epidermis and it sits just above the dermis and it consists of one layer of keratinocytes and it's the only layer where proliferation can occur so meaning the cells in this layer are frequently undergoing mitosis so splitting creating two more daughter cells which one remains in the basal layer and the other one migrates up towards through the other layers. This process of cell proliferation and migration of the keratinocytes is a cycle that takes about 28 days in a normal skin. Due to being so close to the vasculature of the dermis, it is supplied with enough nutrients to continue cell proliferation sequences. So it has the proper ingredients to keep on going. So this is a very important layer because this is how we actually produce our skin cells. We then have the basement membrane. So this is just a single layer of anchor that anchors the epidermis to the dermis, so the next layer of the skin. Speaking of which, the next thing we'll talk about is the dermis. So this is made up of two major layers, which is the reticular layer and the papillary layer. So the eccrine and apocrine glands are here, hair follicles, and also, as I said before, the vasculature, so our lymph and cardio vessels in this layer. We also have our nerve sensation, and it also plays a role in supporting the dermis. Hair and nails are also synthesized at this level, both consisting of carotene protein, as I said before. So we'll talk first about the reticular dermis. So something commonly referred to in the reticular dermis is the ECM or extracellular matrix. And that is comprised of collagen and elastin fibers woven into a structure that allows for strength and stretch. Fibroblasts are cells that actually synthesize or create both protein, um, sorry, collagen and elastin proteins. Collagen is the most abundant at about 70% and elastin allows the skin to return to its original shape after stretching or healing a wound. So both collagen and elastin synthesis starts to decrease with age and you start to see skin sagging and wrinkles appear. Next we have the papillary dermis which contains all the vasculature and nerves. So the two main artery ne networks are called the superficial and the deep plexus. And the superficial supplies blood and nutrients to the epidermis and the dermis. And the deep supplies to the dermis and the final layer, which is the subcutaneous layer of the skin. I hope I haven't lost you. I promise it will all come together in the end. So that brings me to the final layer, which is our subcutaneous layer. So this mostly consists of adipose tissue, nerves and vessels. Adipose tissue has a few functions to the body. It provides shape, protection for bones, muscles and organs against trauma and also fat storage can be used as energy in this layer as well. So it's like our cushioning, so it's very important.
I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Complete Skin and Beauty podcast and this sort of overview of the skin, its functions, and found it interesting learning all the parts in the cycle that work without us even having to think about it. The body is truly amazing. So another tip I would have if you found some of the, I guess, terms and everything a bit overwhelming is having getting a bit of paper and a pen and re-listening to it and sort of separating it into different diagrams, different lists or anything that you learn best with. But I think it's great, it's very empowering to know about our skin and what happens without us even having to think about it. But thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. Have a great day.